Well, good morning. My name is Casey, and I have the joy of serving as one of the pastors here at Christ Community Church. And on behalf of myself, the staff, and leaders of our church, I want to welcome you here this morning. And uh, if you're visiting with us, we're so glad to have you. If you don't mind just filling out the brief form that you've got, it's on the handout. At the end of our service, um, you will pass an offering basket, and you can place it in there because we'd love to keep in touch with you, follow up with you. And also, if we can be praying for you, uh, we would love to have that honor to do that. We actually spend time in our staff meetings um, on typically on Mondays, praying over the prayer requests that come in. So we actually do pray uh, on the things that you put in there. And so feel free to be as specific as you like. Uh, we keep that amongst our staff. Um, if you have your Bible with you this morning, uh, we're going to be spending time in Matthew chapter 6. Um, I'll, I'll actually read a, a, a quick verse before that. Um, but if you want to go ahead and get going there, go to Matthew chapter 6. Um, this morning, I'd like to talk with you about the powerful yet underutilized gift that God's given called prayer. And I think many of us understand what it's like to pray when something bad is happening or we forgot to study for a test or we're running out of cash. Like we, we know that, oh, dear God, help prayer. Um, but I want to invite you to more of God through prayer. And, and that's something that we want for this church. We want to be a place of prayer that is dependent on God through prayer because he is a great and faithful God who has made himself known to us. And so I want to encourage us with that. Now, the number one thing, I don't know many people that tell me like my prayer life is crushing it. Now, first of all, if their prayer life is doing really well, that's probably not something that person would say, right? Because they're communing frequently with God. And so they're not going to be like, I am doing phenomenally in prayer. You, you may not know it, but they're the people that are, when you put up a prayer request, they say, I'm praying for you. If they say something's going on, they'll stop right there and pray with you. They'll follow up with you. They'll check on you. And, and they'll really try to encourage you that way through modeling and through verbal encouragement. Uh, about a year ago, a few of us got together and we started a prayer meeting once a month, usually the first Thursday of every month, and we spend time going through the Acts model of prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and a big word, supplication, asking for what you would like or what you'd like to see happen. And we began meeting once a month, a small group of us praying, asking God to move, asking God to show his power amongst us in our community, in our church, around the world. And it's been such a faithful uh, group of people that have been coming in a sweet time of prayer. And we've been wanting to hopefully see that pour over into our community groups. Um, but the we, we, reason why we pray is we are not just a natural organization, but a one that is dependent on supernatural power, the power of God and the gift of his spirit that he makes accessible to us through prayer. And so we started meeting together praying. And, and what we do as a church, I just want to be very clear, we are in a community, and we have a community here of highly intelligent and gifted people. It could be very easy for us to depend on ourselves and our own power to quote-unquote do church. The problem is it may give an illusion of power and of success, but have no spiritual consequence. And that's something that the leadership here does not want to see happen. We want to be a uniquely spiritual organization, and we're not always faithful at doing that, but we are striving towards that end to experience the power of God, not only in our personal lives, but in our community. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, just to give context for this idea of the spiritual nature of what we do, the Apostle Paul is urging the church in Ephesus, a church that he planted and spent some time at, to put on the full armor of God, to be prepared in wartime living because of this. Verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is a spiritual battle going on, and one of the greatest tools that the enemy utilizes is deception in helping us think, oh, it's not that bad. We find contentment and we grow spiritually fatigued or lazy by not believing that there is actually a battle at play, but actually that everything is fine because objectively everything seems fine. But in fact, there is an ongoing battle for our souls and for the souls of those we love. And there's only one remedy and only one defense, and his name is Jesus. And so the main point I want us to carry this morning is this, that prayer is a powerful gift, not just a gift, not a nuisance, not a uh, rote habit. Prayer is a powerful gift given to God's people for his glory, meaning to show who he is, and for their empowered joy. I chose these words specifically. It might sound Westminster-y or Piper-esque. Um, I, I wasn't trying to steal, but one thing that prayer does, it glorifies God because we're acknowledging that He is the one, the power, the source, the good. He is the one that we are deferring our hope to, to change our hearts and the hearts of others. And so it glorifies Him when we pray. And it's a, a powerful gift. But also, prayer is the foundation, as we'll see later on, for the empowered supernatural joy that we were created and redeemed to experience in and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And one of the ways I know, you know, when I ask people, hey, how's your walk with God? How are you doing spiritually? What do people often say? Good? Right? So, ladies, when you ask your husband, hey, how's your walk with Jesus? And he says, good, then you have my permission. And guys, just full disclosure, I'm giving your permission to say, what does good look like? What's good about it? My wife began encouraging me that way, and it was frustrating because I thought I could fly under the radar. Hey, how's your walk with God? Oh, it's good. Oh, what's good about it? Ugh. I mean, we, we know that feeling in community, right? Typically, when things are actually being pretty faithful and are moving along well, we were like, man, man, quiet time's awesome. I read Romans yesterday uh, in the morning, all of it. I, you know, we, we go through all these things that we've done for God, and, and then when things aren't that well as far as habits or performance, if you will, we have a tendency to want to hide. You are loved just as much on the days you don't pray, don't read, don't fast, don't give, as you are on the days that you do. We don't do those things to earn or maintain God's love. We do those things because God's love has been freely given to us. And so when we begin to change that thinking of what we're earning or gaining or keeping is put away, that's already been paid for, and begin to approach God because He is who He says He is, we begin to experience power and joy. Now, in Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been going through in the student ministry, he talks about prayer um, in Matthew chapter 6, and he gives some instruction on prayer, understanding that our faith is a supernatural faith. It's not just a rote religion based on information and regurgitation of that information, but rather a life-giving supernatural relationship with the living and powerful God. And so when he tells them when you pray, he doesn't say if you pray or when you get around to praying, he says this in Matthew 6, beginning in verse 5, and when you pray, 
Earlier in Matthew 6, he said, and when you give, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, the ones who live and appear one way outwardly and then live inwardly way different. You must not be like the religious people who do outward religion, but their hearts are far from God. Don't be like them. Don't put on a show for everyone around you. Instead, there's a different way. He goes on to give description four. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues. That's the gathering of faith for the Jewish people. And at the street corners that they may be seen by others. They do it for applause and praise and for people's opinion of them. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And look, if you're going after the praise of man or the praise of woman or affirmation from people, If that's your reward, then then be very big and bold and bad all the time with your faith and people will think you are a spiritual rock star. The problem is when that happens is idolatry begins to form in your heart and theirs and you're setting an expectation that you yourself are not living up to and you're causing your brother or sister to stumble. So he says, don't be like them to, to get their reward by the applause and the appearance of godliness. Verse six, but when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. The first thing that we have to understand is that prayer is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. It's saying, I'm buying into the fact that God, you are true. You are right. You are good. You are in control of all things. It's acknowledging that God is God and that we are not That's a good thing. Friends, that's a good thing. We're able to acknowledge that even though we're fallible and we make mistakes and sometimes we willingly sin and we hurt people, God is other. He's different. He's not the same way. And so when we go to pray, we're saying, God, in my faith, the size of a little tiny seed, I need you. I'm depending on you. I'm coming to you. It's an act of faith. Hebrews 11.1 says, What is faith but the confident assurance of what we hope for is going to happen? The evidence of things not yet seen. And confidence may not feel right sometimes when we pray. It may not be very confident, but rather a last-ditch effort to cry out to a God who we might feel like is far too busy for us, but who actually cares and is able to hear and care and answer our prayers. Prayer is an act of faith. We're trusting as we pray that God is who He says He is and that He will do all that He's promised to do. Prayer, though, oftentimes for us, exposes our unbelief. But prayer also not only exposes our unbelief, but it is a vehicle by which delivers us out of our unbelief. We see a man in the Gospels who says, Jesus asked him if he believed, and he says, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. God is an all-knowing God. He knows your thoughts, your deeds, your actions before you do. He's not unaware of your doubts. He's not unaware of your unbelief. He's not unaware of your times where you think you're smarter than him and have it more figured out and you know what he should do. He's got it covered. And so as an act of faith, it exposes our unbelief. But as we own it, and as we confess it, it delivers us from it. 
And some of you today, the way you respond is like, God, I'm not sure I believe. I'm not sure what I believe about you. People always talk about how good you are and how faithful you are, but it doesn't feel like that in my life right now. God, I want to believe. Help me. And he's faithful to answer prayers like that. God, I want to believe in Jesus, but I don't. Help me. God, I want to believe that you have our finances or our health under control, but I don't. Help me. Prayer is an act of faith. He goes on in verse 7, giving more instruction. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So it's like superstition. I don't know if you've ever met a superstitious person but they have habits and rituals and things they go through. They'll have to do things in a specific way, say things in a specific way. And what these these kind of superstitious patterns do is create false faith that their actions and their rhythms and their frequent words are what moves the hand of God. And if they don't do those things, then they are on their own. And that's not faith. And at very best, it's faith in the wrong thing or wrong person. This idea of faith, this idea of of hoping in, when when you pray, don't just have to continue to repeat over and over again as if God doesn't care or listen. He says, verse 8, do not be like them. And this should bring us comfort. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Have you ever had to provide your child with a Kleenex for obvious reasons? Have you ever noticed that your child needs a Kleenex and then when they ask you, you're like, nope, use your sleeve. Now, if you don't have one, that's different. But typically, if your kid asks you for what they need, even though you know they need it already, you're not mad about that, right? Shouldn't it be kind of like a positive sign that your kid's growing up and self-aware and that bubble coming out of their nose shouldn't be there, right? That's actually a positive thing. Like, hey, they're getting it. They're growing. They're maturing. Their faith he says, with your prayers, don't don't be like that. Just because God knows what you need, it honors him that you ask him for it. That you acknowledge that ultimately it's from him. That he gives all things and provides all things. So number two is this. Prayer acknowledges God as the one who knows what we need and who can provide it. It's acknowledging, it's honoring God that, God, you know what we need. I'm coming alongside to ask and to agree It feels like some of us approach God in a way a rebellious teenager might, where we want to act you know, one way in front of mom and dad, live a different way, and then try to church it up when we're in front of mom and dad because they don't know what we've actually been up to. But I want you to imagine that God is the parent that knows better than you do, who knows what you've been up to, know what you're thinking, know what you're not believing, seeing where you're sinning, even in areas you're not even aware yet you're sinning, and he invites you to himself anyways. He loves you enough anyways to bring you in and to invite you to commune imperfectly with him. And when we pray, we're acknowledging that God really is the one who knows what we need and who is the one ultimately to provide it. It doesn't mean that we live a lazy life. It doesn't mean that we don't proactively pursue things and people. But what it does mean is that ultimately we're acknowledging him. When we pray before a meal, It's a wonderful time to acknowledge the gospel. God, thank you for this animal that you created, that gave its life, or its life was taken, so that our bodies might continue to live. 
when you pray before a meal, remember the gospel as God ultimately providing. And if it's a bad meal, just remember Genesis 3 in the fall. It will be better in heaven. Just want you to know that. Prayer acknowledges God as the one who knows what we need, but also the one who is able and often willing to provide it. And so then Jesus gives them a model of prayer. Now, some traditions have taken this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, and made it into the prayer. It is a prayer. It is a way to show us a right alignment before God and acknowledging God and our need for God so we might experience the power of God. He says, so pray like this. Our Father, Pater, Father, not our God, our King, our Lord, Pater, our Father, one who is intimately invested in us, for us, because of himself. Our Father in heaven, a place of authority, a place of eternity, grander than us, hallowed, respected, and revered be your name. Oh, the name of God is a powerful name. It is a a name that brings life, that breathes life and speaks life and brings redemption and brings forgiveness and exposes sin and breathes in life. Our powerful dad in heaven, your name is to be respected above all names. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We often see people praying now for their will and their kingdom. There's not a submission to God in his will. There's often a submission trying to get God to submit to our will. And it's not that God doesn't want to hear what we believe we need. And he is honored by us bringing those requests. But Jesus is modeling a right alignment underneath the authority and power and care of God so that we might be able to approach and enjoy the person of God. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our retirement fund, our daily bread. Our daily bread. Are you worrying about tomorrow? Ask God for your daily bread. Give us today, give us your provider this day, our daily bread. Give us what we need. Forgive us our debts. We need provision and we need forgiveness. We have sinned against God. We have sinned against each other. Forgive us our debts. And he says this, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And in a couple couple weeks, we'll be in a series called Overflow. And one of the ways we're going to explore the generosity of God is the generosity of God's forgiveness. He says, forgive us in the same way we've forgiven others. If you're holding bitterness and you're unwilling to forgive, you're asking to be forgiven that same way by God. Which is hard. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need and acknowledge that we need forgiveness. Even as great as you may be in your disciplines and habits and worship and faith, 
we are not yet as good as God or the righteousness of God fully applied until eternity we're made whole. Forgive us, release us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Verse 13, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us. Give us a way out. Show us a way not to be given there. And it's interesting he says, and lead us not into temptation. And I shared this previously, but it it always interests me because in, in the book of James, it says that God does not cause anyone to sin. But in Matthew chapter 4, if you go read Matthew 4, verse 1, if you want to have some fun Bible reading later this week, it says, then Jesus was led into the wilderness. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness in order to be tempted. And so when Jesus is praying and lead us not into temptation, that's a very important request. But instead, deliver us from evil. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul says that we will never be tempted beyond what we can handle, and God will always provide a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, I believe. It was the theme verse for the 56 Ministries event. I always tell people, when you're being tempted, look for the exit sign. Sin doesn't any longer have that dominion over you, but rather it liberates us to go after Him. Number three is prayer is an act that acknowledges God's power and our dependence on it. Prayer acknowledges God's power and it acknowledges our dependence that we need him. God, you are our father, you are the king, you are our maker, you are in heaven. Your name is above all names. It's more powerful and good, more righteous. It stands for all that is good and right. Let us not be about building our kingdom, but instead, God, bring your kingdom here in us, through us, for you, for us, and our good. God, we want your will to be done above ours, and we don't always say that. So God, give us what we need today, and Lord, we acknowledge we need your forgiveness, and help us to forgive others, because we're not great at that, but as we understand more how we've been forgiven, we are then compelled to forgive And God, we ask that you would not lead us into temptation, but rather, God, that we wouldn't just be able to go and dwell in the mini pool of mud, of dirt, of filth, the sins we love. Oh God, but that you would deliver us. That there would be an exodus. Aligning yourself with what God wants. Makes sense of the psalmist that says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Bringing this delight and hope in the person and work of Jesus will bring about that reality. Prayer is an act that acknowledges God's power and our dependence on Him. Why? Because He is the prize. God is the prize. The kingdom is our home. God is the provider of all things. For every good and perfect gift, it's from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or subject to change. James 1, 16, 17-ish. He provides all of our needs, and God forgives us when it would be right of Him to judge us. And God delivers us from evil when He would be just to hand us over to it. When you read Romans chapter 1, 
When he's going through people who have turned themselves over to the unnatural ways of the flesh, he says, and then God turned them over, and then God turned them over. He's saying, deliver us from evil rather than turning us over to it. Part of God's exposed wrath is the fact that he allows people to continue on in unbelief in their sin. He delivers us from evil when he should hand us over to it. One last area I think is important for us to hit this morning is in the area of anxiety and worry. I don't know if you realize this, about a year ago we had Hurricane Harvey hit. Now, some of you realize that very well. Some of you are here now because of that hurricane. And we did a Facebook Live church service, and I taught through Philippians 4. I'm not sure how many people actually held on to those words because we were all just shocked by what we had been experiencing and seeing. But Philippians 4, if you struggle with worry or doubt or anxiety, Philippians 4 is not just a scripture to be read or memorized, it's one to be prayed. Praying God's word brings the power of God. It speaks God's words and promises back to him. It acknowledges that he is powerful and holy. It says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So the the, the contrast to worry is joy. The contrast to being broken and anxious is enjoyment of God. Return to your source of joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, which is supernatural, for a lot of us, being reasonable is supernatural, especially in stressful situations. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Your hearts, your minds will be protected in Christ as we acknowledge Him as our hope and source of joy. Are you worried? Are you beat down? Are you anxious? Rejoice in God's faithfulness. Rejoice in God's promises. Rejoice in the fact that he hasn't given up on you, but he's remained steadfast with you, that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Rejoice in the Lord. Don't be anxious, but rather through prayer and everything and supplication, asking With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. The thanksgiving bit always stumps me. He's saying, hey, be thankful in those moments. And if you struggle with anxiety or if you ever have, thanksgiving is not typically the emotion or feeling or thought that usually arises to one who struggles with anxiety. Usually, if you're feeling anxious or overwhelmed or worried, the focus isn't as much on the Lord's faithfulness but on your trial or tribulation. And so when Paul is commanding those who are anxious or worried, instead of that, be prayerful. And prayer is the avenue to reconnect us with the one in whom we were created to find the most joy. So being anxious, prayer in and of itself isn't meant as some sort of cathartic uh, method just to make you feel better. It's bringing you back to the one in whom made you and redeemed you and loves you. Does that mean the, uh, the physiological things will immediately subside? No, not necessarily. But the well of your faith will continue to go deeper and deeper as you pursue the Lord and seek to find your hope in Him.
prayer with gratitude is the anecdote to our anxieties. Prayer with gratitude is the anecdote to our anxieties. You might hear self-help coaches and people talk about, wake up with your three gratitudes each morning, right? And for my buddies that are like totally not into that stuff, there's like, I don't, mm, hogwash. Look, let's not throw the baby out of the bathwater there. If we believe that all things are from God, it is right to feel grateful for who he is and what he's done and what he's given to us. If you're struggling to find joy, find one thing to be grateful for. Even if it's just the air you're breathing or the bed that you're refusing to get out of. Gratitude is a healthy response to grace. Gratitude is a healthy response to grace. I love this quote by Martin Luther. He says, pray and let God worry. Pray and let God do the worrying. If he knows us, he knows what we need. He knows what we need. Then we acknowledge that and go to him and ask of him. We're saying, God, I think you're better suited than I am to handle this whole thing. Help, guide me, I'll be obedient, I'll read your word, I'll try to be, pay attention to your spirit. But I just love that quote, and I heard a pastor friend share it several weeks ago, he said, pray, and then let God worry. And I was like, man, that's so good. And he's like, oh, I didn't say that. Dead guy named Martin Luther did. So it should say, Martin Luther, good, okay. And then Casey sees. All right, so. I'm a better coach than player at this. I know most of us are. I know our pastors and our leaders and our community group leaders, right? Right, community group leaders, we have worries. And at times our worries take over for us. So none of us are sitting here as authorities and amply doing this faithfully all the time. But this is a direction that we want to fall towards and make prayer a priority. Because that's how we mature in our faith. That's how the content we learn, the doctrines we learn, the theology we learn, the life we live is matured and ripened in a positive way is through that workshop of prayer and of allowing the Lord to plunge that 14 to 18 inches from our brain to our soul and our hearts. That even though we grow in the mysteries of God and the doctrines of God, which are good, we can never do that at the forfeiture of our dependence on God. Because our dependence, our humility comes from being rightly positioned with Him. So I want to give you six happy steps, not really steps, but I'm often asked, like, well, my prayer life stinks, I don't know what to do. Um, I've said this to you before, I'm stealing it from a marketing guy, but he says we are 100% disciplined to our habits. Which, we're 100% disciplined to our habits. So I want to talk about just some practical ways to develop the habit of prayer. Number one, pray daily. Just do it. Talk to God. Talk to Him. One of the things that helps overcome conflict or to reunite people is communication. Talk with God. For many of us, when we first began dating our spouse, we couldn't get enough of communicating and note passing back in the old days before text messaging. And we would communicate a ton and talk and then talk on the phone and go on dates and spend a lot of time. And, and the number one reason when I sit with a couple who's struggling, the number one reason they're usually struggling is because they are not communicating well. 
And from that, then there's really no grid to understand how to handle conflict in a healthy way. And so the beautiful thing is, is God has given us a way for us to commune with the perfect holy God through his son, Jesus, to come before him as if we were blameless, even though we are not, to agree with God, to commune with God, and to be with God. Just do it. Talk to him. God, we haven't talked in a long time. I'm not really sure how to do that. I hope that you help me and you bring people in my life that'll help me how to do that. God, I know I love my sin. And if you ask me to give up eating a bunch of cookies at 11 o'clock at night, I'm not sure I'm ready to give that up yet. Whatever. Someone else's problem, not mine. But I'm, I'm, why can't we be honest with him that way? We, we church it up, and, and it's more offensive when someone acts like you're fine when you're not. And so don't go to God and act like you're fine when you're not okay with God. Go to God and say, God, I feel mad. I feel frustrated. I feel angry. I remember a, a pastor friend of mine was speaking to a young boy at, at a camp, a teenage boy who was very mad at God. And he was like, I hate God. I'm mad at God. My, my dad's beaten me. My mom's left. And, and, just going, and, and my buddy said to him, he said, go into your dorm room by yourself and pound on your bed as if you're beating on the chest of God and just tell him what you're telling me. And he goes in there. He says, the young man just collapses. The next day he comes out of his room, or the next day he sees him, he's out and about and light. And my friend, you'd have to know this guy to understand how funny this is. He said, hey, did you go do what I tell you to do? And he said, yeah. And he's like, did God hit back? He said, no, but it felt like he hugged me and held me. Be where you are. Admit it to God. He already knows. He knows your secret sin that no one else knows about. He knows. He's your only hope, really, to be delivered from it, not you trying harder. He's the one that will give you courage to ask for help, to follow through with it. He's the one that will give you another ounce of patience to bear with each other in love. So we pray daily. The second thing is begin praying for your soul. God, there are pockets of sin in my life that I don't even see. Help me be, to be open to hearing of those things from others. Expose those things to me. God, revive my soul. Help my unbelief. God, I'm not believing these truths about you. I am. God, help my soul to be authentically right because of Christ with you and, and open when it's not. Because a lot of times we pray for our kids and our marriage and all that. No, 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 no. The greatest need you have is your soul being in line and united with God through Christ. Pray for your soul. Number three, pray for your family. When you pray for your family, don't just pray for like they be smart and get good jobs and go to good college, but pray for their souls as well. Begin with their souls and then go through their struggles and ask for God's hand and, and help in that. Number four, pray for your friends and coworkers, people that you're with. Pray that God would give you opportunities to share with them the greatness of God, that he'd give you words to say, and that even if you fumble through it or say the wrong thing, that God in his power will allow you to be the donkey of choice to open your mouth and say some things on his behalf. Pray for those opportunities. Pray for their souls. Pray for their needs. So when you say, hey, I've been praying for you, you're not just churching it up, but you've actually been praying for them. Pray for your community, for our state, our nation, and pray for the world. Pray that God would bring revival. The number one thing that will stop a war or terrorism is revival. 
And then you can pray for your military as well. But begin with the soul in mind. And last but certainly not least, pray for those who don't know God yet. Those who are lost and wandering like we used to be. Pray for them. God, hand them over. Give them to us. And I usually try to keep a running list of people in my life who don't yet know Jesus and pray for them specifically. I had this little notebook that we bought. It's a little binder type thing with index cards. And I haven't been doing it in years, but I'm going to start again. I felt convicted this week. Like, golly, I need to get more organized with my prayer life. But I went back through and was reading it and, and praying, um, praying for friends, praying for family, praying for another baby. And we now have Abigail. I mean, praying for a bunch of different things years ago. And seeing God's faithfulness, it's just good because we are people who forget. When you have a prayer journal, I encourage you to go back and read through it and see what God said yes to, what he said no to, what he said not yet to. To spend time communing. And, and so for those of us who have, may have more struggle um, paying attention, then getting a journal or a prayer list or something running will be extremely helpful for you. To have a prayer journal and praying things out, getting a prayer list, asking people how you can pray for them. If you're tired of praying for yourself, Okay, good. Pray for your soul, but then pray for other people. How can I pray for you? Utilizing technology and tools to commune with God. Listen, church, it's time to wake up, both literally right now, if you've been sleeping. Welcome. Good back. Good morning. But also, as believers, we have to wake up to the power of prayer. Because prayer is the most powerful gift, one of the most powerful gifts given to God's people to show who he is and for your and my empowered joy. Prayer is the vehicle. Prayer is the the way in which God, through his word, by his spirit, brings it together. Prayer allows us to tap into his power for his purposes. Prayer enables us to acknowledge our limitations, to go to the one who is limitless. Prayer brings us in our unbelief and our doubts, and then prayer, by God's grace, is a vehicle which he uses many times to lead us out of it. And so I'm going to invite the guys back up, but I just want to lead us in a few moments just of prayer. If you're serving the Lord's Supper, then I'll give you kind of the steal home sign in a minute um, to come up and start doing that. When we go through the supplication time, then, then you guys can come. We're not going to pray for a really long time. But what, what I want to guide you in is I want to spend some time either praying as a couple or individually or as a family, however you'd like to pray, out loud, in your mind, whatever. And we're just going to follow the simple prayer model, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Adoration is basically telling God who he is, saying names of God that you know, saying promises of God that he's given, saying the names of God. So just take a moment where you are. You can pray out loud. I know we're a very conservative, quiet church. Like one of you saying amen, and someone's wondering if they're at a, the wrong church or at a revival. You're allowed to actually give feedback because we're living. This isn't a show. But just take a moment right now and slow down, maybe for the first time this week, And tell God who he is. Go ahead. You can pray with your eyes open if you want, but let's pray.